For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Situation Room. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another exciting episode of The Situation Room. And I don't know about you, Gabe, but exciting, not probably nearly as much a, that we have to do with it than the Ravens have to do with it. We've had three consecutive weeks of just incredible games. You guys can check him out, my co-host at Gabe Fergie. I mean, how's your heart? My, mine is barely on life support. Yeah, I, I, I told you after the game, I think if this keeps happening, I'm not going to survive the season. It's just it every single week is just back and forth and it's up and down. And why can't we just have a normal game? I, I miss the, the weeks where it felt like, you know, a two score game was just like not, not good enough. You know, <laughs> I kind of, I kind of want to have one of those games where it's just like an easy win where it's kind of boring. And um, I, I mean, you know, that'll probably happen at some point, but it's, it's kind of been, it's been excruciating for through these first three, three weeks to be sure. Yeah, and and you know, really, really wild stuff. I mean, obviously, huge props to Justin Tucker. What he did was just heroic and incredible. I, it's almost impossible to believe that that was the kind of thing that happened. I mean, being indoor probably indoors probably helps a little bit in that regard. But a sixty-six yard field goal with that pressure at in that moment in a game where you know the Ravens had kind of given this whole thing back, um, it was pretty incredible stuff from Tucker. Yeah, I mean, longest kick in NFL history by what three yards? Like a, a three and I think and two yards. Yeah, I think yeah. Before it was like sixty-three, I, I think, and he could get sixty-six yarder. So um, that's unbelievable. I mean, and in the clutch, like not only is it the longest kick in the NFL, but in a game-winning situation um, where you know it would have been a devastating loss if, if the Ravens had not been able to pull this one out. Um, you know, leading up to that play as well like it was not a, a clean drive like it, you had a minute and you struggled to get down the field um and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more more about that later but wow for him to step up and make that play at that point is just that, that that's going to come down like i mean we'll see how the season progresses but that might be a game and a moment where you look back on and say that's the kind of thing that kind of turned or was it maybe not a tipping point but like a must-have kind of moment in the, in the season yeah, and it's really incredible. You know, Gabe and I were out watching the game together, and the moment from when the football hit the crossbar and popped up to when it was clear that it had actually gone into the netting, um, instead of bouncing back out onto the field, I, I said to Gabe, you could have heard a pin drop in the bar that we were in. And then as soon as you could tell it happened, it just exploded and everybody went crazy. It was, it was an awesome moment. I mean, that's what we live for as sports fans. It was really exciting. Um, you know, but what I think underlied the whole thing was that this was not the, the game that not the game that was played by the Ravens. I mean, this was a game where the Ravens came out firing on, I think on a lot of cylinders um, on offense. I think their, their game plan worked to some degree in the first half, um, you know, on both sides of the ball and what should have been a dominant 20 plus to zero start to this game, you know, had a bunch of, 
peculiar miscues, you know, the Bowser play where they overturned that call. I, I still, I still don't quite understand how you overturn that call in that way. Right. Um, but you know, it is what it is. I, the big time drops from Brown, um, you know, all, all over the place, you know, at the end of the day, this, this shouldn't have been a game that was even close. And if you only watch the first half, you know, and you're going back and you're reviewing tape of the Ravens and you're looking at the first half, you, you, you've got to be pretty happy. Yeah, I mean, the first half was the score wasn't exactly what you wanted, but I think, like you said, you know, pushing the ball downfield, attacking a pretty simplistic, I think, zone coverage that the, the line. I mean, the, the Lions' game plan I think was pretty clear. They wanted to, you know, rush for, kind of muddy the pocket, make Lamar kind of think a little bit, you know, and then they had a couple guys who they would like have sit in a short zone, in a shallow zone, who could kind of take him away or try and come up and rally to the ball if he decided to scramble. Um, and instead of scrambling, I mean, he did a few times and it, it didn't really work for the most part. They had one big scramble that worked well, but for the most part, he was able to pick them apart down the field. Um, I mean, he had multiple receivers downfield for explosive plays in the passing game, and he did that as a passer in the pocket. Um, there should have been a lot more of that if some of the receivers weren't able to hold onto the balls like we saw. But um, overall, I mean, the offense looked really good, I thought, in the first half, aside from the 10 points. Obviously, there's a missed field goal in there. Um, they moved the ball pretty easily um, through the air. But the, the running game, on the other hand, did not go as smoothly as what we expected. Um, and that's something that was a little surprising. Yeah, well, huge props to Lamar for how he threw the ball in this game. It's a little, it's a little disappointing in the sense that from the narrative and media perception, this could have been a game breaker in terms of how people talked about how Lamar threw the ball. I think if Brown catches those touchdowns, you know, Lamar continues to be a front runner for the MVP. You know, as parts of those conversations, you know, we're in week three. It's too early for that kind of stuff, but. The resume games where Lamar throws the ball and has those, you know, he had just some really great throws right on the spots that they needed to be in this game. You know, really good stuff to see. But, you know, I agree with you. I was a little, I was a little disappointing to see the run game be so effective against Kansas City and uh, so not effective in this game. And I think we'll talk about that a little bit, you know, later in the podcast. But, you know, I know one of the big things for you has always been that you'd like to see the Ravens throw a little bit more on first down, that they've been a little bit too predictable and it hasn't been, you know, what we've seen. And we finally got a little bit about of that in this game. You know, we saw, you know, by my count, we saw 22 drop or 22 first down plays for the Ravens. We had 15 dropbacks on those plays and seven runs. Um, and so, you know, we can talk a little bit about the effectiveness of some of that overall. I think that if you look at the numbers, six for 11 on actual passes, two sacks, um, obviously one of those in that four on that last drive um, and two scrambles that picked up 15 yards. That's, that's not terrible production. I, I think what you were just talking about though, when you flip it to the other side, where out of those seven runs, they only picked up 30 yards. And if you take out the one first down run from Tyson Williams, that was a 12 yard gain, then they were really, the Ravens were really ineffective in terms of how they were executing on first down running the ball. Yeah. I, you know, this is something we've talked a lot about. I think that, it's, it's pretty much just an easier go of it when you pass the ball on first down because in general defenses are still kind of like expecting you to run that, that that I mean maybe it's starting to move away from that with the way analytics have kind of like taken a little bit of a hold in some of the play calling and stuff that's going on in NFL front offices but it's still easier to pass on first down because defenses are playing more vanilla schemes for the most part you know they're not doing like those exotic like 
third down blitzes that you're going to see a lot of the times when you need to get that you know that third down conversion um so you can kind of dictate exactly what you want in terms of an offense and first down and that's your kind of the best opportunity you have to really take advantage of what personnel um you can dictate towards towards the defense so i think it's a good idea um, it didn't always work in this game. Um, there was a couple of drops. I think there was, you know, I think Lamar like dropped a snap and that affected a play. Um, but overall, I was definitely more pleased with the passing on first down. I think it opened up the game a little bit for them. Um, but it just has to be a good mix. You know, it can't be like skewed one way or the other. Um, you need to keep the defense um, off balance. You need to be able to show them different looks, different formations. I would have liked to see a little bit more play action in this game. I still think they don't utilize play action enough. Um, it Even when it doesn't work perfectly, it still makes the defense think about it. Um, and that, that's something that I think could also be used more. And I think we barely saw any RPOs. Maybe there's one RPO in this game. I don't understand why they went away from it. It was something that was working effectively with for them last week and the few times they used it. I, I just feel like sometimes they try and get too cute and not go with the easy things and that seems to be the case in this game yeah i you know it doesn't completely make sense to me in terms of personnel groupings and like kind of how like, I, well i'll need to take a closer look at what some of the numbers were and there's some awesome people out there on twitter that are regularly talking about what the personnel packages are for the ravens you know definitely suggest you looking around if you you want to see some of that data and see what some of those numbers look like but it seemed to me like the Ravens were in a lot of empty. I agree with you. There wasn't a lot of play action. It felt like in the Chiefs game, almost every passing attempt was play action, except for the ones that they ran out of empty. Um, the RPOs were were basically gone for this game. And, you know, maybe they were just trying to attack the Detroit secondary that was banged up and and definitely needed some help. And and they were successful in that sense that the guys were open and the scheme was 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 getting there in that regard. But it's also like let's not forget about this amazing run performance that you had against Kansas city previously. Like why can't we do a, like, why isn't there a middle ground of both of these things? Like, why is it that we have to run the ball? Like what is, they, they ran the ball like 15, 15 times, less than 20 times this game. Right. Um, you know, whatever the numbers were in, t- in terms of actual runs, it's like, there doesn't have to be this severe of a difference, the baseline between what this team can do. You know, there are enough plays and enough downs and enough snaps that you can have a philosophy that you stick to and it still be successful. And so, you know, I think some of that is early in the year stuff. I think some of that is, you know, they're trying to figure out what's going on. So some of that is injuries, you know, Boyle being out, not having the same wide receivers as they might want in some of those personnel groupings. I don't know what it is, but it just doesn't, it doesn't have to be, quite so boom or bust it feels like at times in terms of whichever direction they want to go in. Yep. I completely agree. And I do want to say though, the one thing I think that they're did well in this game was they did attack those kind of areas in the zone coverage where, um, you know, the lines kind of left it open for them. And that was Mark Andrews mostly. Um, and not just Mark Andrews, there's a little bit of uh, Sammy Watkins in there as well, but you know, Mark Andrews was someone who I think, we haven't seen too much of throughout the first two weeks. Um, and that might've been, you know, game plan dependent kind of script game script dependent. He was used a little bit more um, in just kind of the short area, just kind of as a check down option in the first couple weeks in this game, he was much more of a vertical threat. Um, he was getting behind that first layer of, of the zone defenders, finding those seams, finding those openings. And Lamar was hitting him pretty regularly. There were a couple that, 
you know, they missed on, did not connect on, but he still had over a hundred yards in this game. I think that's the kind of thing we want to see out of Andrews um, this season. Obviously when you have speed with, with Hollywood and with Watkins, um, you're going to have some openings over the middle and, and Andrews is that perfect weapon that can take advantage of them. And this game he did. Yeah, and you know, and you guys can check this out. I'm gonna put it up on Twitter so you'll be able to see us pull down the video of all these plays of Mark Andrews. I think a couple things, you know, this is obviously pre-all 22. A couple things that I see on tape here that I think impacted this game overall were one, it, it's a almost like an option crosser route for for Andrews, where he gets to decide depending on what the coverage looks like. You know, his his route is a deep crosser. His route is to get behind that layer of defense, but if the linebackers are dropping. He has the opportunity to get more vertical in that route. So we see that happen on like Andrews third or fourth catch where um, the big, like the big 40 yard catch for Andrews where he gets a lot more depth, even though, so the linebackers have adjusted from the cross, the shorter crossers earlier in the game, they're fading back to him. He gets even deeper beyond that and there's no help for him there. Right. I think that was, that was huge in terms of them setting that up. And again, like you said, them attacking those zones. I think the other part was that, that the lions were committed to not letting Lamar beat them running on the ground. And so they were keeping those hook zones pretty tight in terms of, of where they were letting those linebackers play and come up. And so, yeah, you've got to attack that on those crossers. They're going to be open in those situations. That's a staple, you know, that's a staple for the Ravens playbook that I think needs to be needs to be more present. I think Mark Andrews needs to be running routes that are crosser-ish, that get him to the middle of the field first at that kind of 12, 14, 15-yard depth right? Where he is the only guy in the middle of the field in that, that place in that way. And then it's an option route in the sense that if there is somebody right underneath him and there's a spy underneath that, so it's taking away gaps for Lamar, then you just continue to run. Because if you run into that same void that we're talking about right now, he's going to be wide open in the process. And so I think of the seven targets that Andrews had, four of them were on those deep crosser routes. Um, and so there's a reason for that. And there's a reason why they were successful in this game. Yeah, and I think that's something that's going to continue to find success if teams use this similar kind of strategy against the Ravens where they where they play those zone defenses where you have kind of a an initial shallow zone where you're trying to, you know, spy Lamar, take away the underneath, um, making him beat you with his arm as, you know, people say he can't do, but which he's apparently he's completely wrong obviously. He's, he does it on a regular basis. Um, but th- those are the lanes and those are the windows that he's going to have to look into and then that's where andrews can really excel um so yeah i think that's this is going to be something we see more of um i, I don't know about a, i'm not going to expect 100 yards every week but he's clearly someone who can make big plays um he, he can run after the catch we've seen that a lot out of him he's you know he has a similar kind of you know size and, and speed as some of the top re- top receiving tight ends in the NFL and, and that can be utilized a little bit more aggressively than, than what we saw earlier. I want to see this something um, going forward more regularly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So and the other no go ahead. You know, the other thing I'd add here is that you know the play action on a couple of these passes to, to Mark Andrews. If if you look at like the four or five second marker of this video that we're going to post and like the 38 to 40 second marker of this video he's getting Lamar's getting really clean pockets from the play action. So it's not just is not just beneficial in terms of sucking up the linebackers. And if you look at the very first play at that, like five, six, seven marker, you have all three linebackers collapsing in both on Lamar, as well as the the running back as they're leaking out. And Andrews is just easily able to slip in behind that. If you look at the spot at that, that 40 second marker, again, Lamar has a huge 
very clean pocket because these guys are, you know, at, at some point they become afraid of Lamar, the option, the muddle, they, they muddle rush a little bit. They're not kind of pinning their ears back nearly as much. It gives them a lot of space and a lot of room and a lot of lanes to throw behind. So there's a lot to see on this tape from, from Andrew's kind of success reel of some of the different stuff that we've already been talking about today. Yep. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the run game because I think this is one of the least successful rushing attacks that the Ravens have had. It was, it was pretty much Lamar Jackson scrambling, um, or they wouldn't even hit that you know hundred yard mark that they've have the what forty two game consecutive um, been able to do. There was very little um, design runs for Lamar, which is a like basically a one eighty degree turn from what we saw last week. Um, he was pretty much the engine that made the Ravens work. And I, I understand that they want to limit him a little bit, but you have to, I think you have to keep defenses at least to respect that ability um, to show those kind of um, actions. Um, and, and in this game, they just, you know, I said last week, I, I would have liked to see a little bit more of that, um, you know, the counter bash, which they did use a decent amount last week. They probably used it four or five times, maybe even a little bit more, I think it can still be used more. In this game, they went away from it. Like, I don't, I rewatched the game. I think I saw maybe one, and it wasn't, I don't even think it was a, a true counter bash. It was just, I mean, they did some guard tackle pulls, um, but not in the same kind of manner as what they were doing before with, with having to put the defender in kind of the blender, you know, having to make the decision whether to go after the running back or go after the quarterback. Um, obviously, last week we saw Lamar Jackson just like destroy the Chiefs um, because they, chose wrong often and Tyson Williams was someone who was able to take advantage of that as well um Williams had five carries in this game the Ravens barely gave it to the running backs at all and maybe that's because the Lions were trying to take away their running game um but I, I find it hard to believe that if the Ravens who pride themselves as being you know the best running team in the NFL I, I find it hard to believe that they cannot figure out a way to get a more productive running game out of what we saw in, in this game. Yeah. Oh, I can't, it, it baffles my mind why Tyson Williams only had five carries in this game that it is, you know, if you're, you're going to run the ball less than 20 times, there's no reason that 15 of those carries in this iteration shouldn't go to Tyson Williams. There's, there's no case to be made that there are fresh legs to be had when a guy only has five carries. Right. And that when the most anybody has is seven carries, like, like one guy could have taken all of these carries and been just fine. Um, obviously there's more in pass pro and there's more that you want to take away from some of that, but we didn't even see Tyson out on the field for, I, I'll be interested to see what his snap count looks like. I'll be interested to hear Greg Roman's, ridiculous excuse this go around about why they stopped using him somewhat it just seems like i mean the ravens must not trust him for something or in some way and so instead we get the former husk of what is Devonte freeman um at running back i mean and so we're going to put this this video up on twitter as well i mean i just don't know how after seeing Devonte freeman run in slow motion you see him I mean, his juke move is also in slow motion. All of it is in slow motion. He is, it's like playing, it'd be like playing Madden against somebody that was on an all Madden level when you're on like the rookie level. And like, you're just, you're just going to get smashed when these kind of things happen. He looks slow. There's no, there's no burst. There's no cut. There's no wiggle. Um, I, I can't understand what the Ravens see on tape that says to them, Devontae Freeman's a guy that needs to be getting carries in an NFL game. Yeah, I mean, when I was watching him play, I, I made the comment that he looked like a toddler. 
I mean, he, he's just so small. Like, he looked clumsy. Like, he wasn't able to make cuts that he should. He, he, didn't, he wasn't able to plant the foot and accelerate upfield. Um, I, I know that he's a veteran that, you know, I think, I guess the Ravens like the veterans, the trustworthiness that they have there. But he's, I, I just don't see what he's adding to the team at this point. I, I know he had that one big play last week where, you know, he, he was able to get a big chunk of yardage on a play where the, the Chiefs defenders just made a terrible miscalculation and who they, who they were trying to pick up. Um, so he basically had just a wide open lane that any running back should be able to run through. I haven't seen anything from him that says he should be a game day active player for the Ravens. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm disappointed in the lack of running. I, I feel like, you know, we're getting Nate McCurry back on the practice squad. He's someone I think who has a lot more juice than what, than what Freeman's showing. He's someone I think can offer a little bit more in the passing game. He's just more explosive. Um, I don't know. It just seems like there's a lot of lack of creativity in, in today's game. And and I, I also thought that they kind of lost a little bit up front. The, the offensive line didn't have the best game. Um, it wasn't awful, but it was, there were some times where they, they got beat a little bit. Um, the, the design sometimes was, confusing as well it seemed like there was a lot of unblocked defenders but not in like the way that you normally see an unblocked defender where you're kind of putting them in like a decision or like in a, like trying to figure out who's getting the ball it just it just wasn't blocked up very well and, and maybe this is one of those things where it's you know coming off of a big home game you're on the road um it's it's maybe not part of the, the game plan to be you know doing some of these kind of really diverse run schemes they want to keep it simple in this one um keeping it simple didn't work and i think that they need to kind of take a look at this and say if we're going to be a running team we need to do better than this yeah i i don't i don't understand the philosophy i don't understand you know from a scheme perspective i don't understand the players that they choose chose to do this i don't understand why they decided to take lamar out of um you know out of the running game and maybe that was it you know we heard that uh you know he made that joke about his hip being sore from the flip but like maybe he was banged up a little bit and maybe they were trying to protect him so they just took all those run run plays that kind of use Lamar to make them effective and they put them in their back pocket. Like if Greg Roman is trying to make a point on tape that we need Lamar to have an effective running game point well taken, like let's reinsert him, like let him be part of that. It doesn't have to be explicitly designed runs. It can be, you know, pick your poison about how you want to create this, but you know, we got to keep him healthy, but Lamar, Lamar looked fine in terms of being able to run the ball and what we saw from him here. Um, So, you know, in that regard, you know, it, it's hard to it's hard to say, oh, well, it was obvious that Lamar wasn't 100 percent. I don't think we saw anything on tape here that Lamar wasn't 100 percent. But Tyson Williams has got to get those carries. I mean, he is night and day faster um, than what we saw from the other running backs. The Ravens on first downs had 29 rushing yards. Twelve of those came from Tyson Williams on one run. I mean, that that's what you're taking away from this Ravens offense when you're when you're not leaving him in the game. And so, you know, hopefully the Ravens kind of reconsider what that looks like. But you know, even more so, it, it. I felt like the Ravens, and I, again, I don't have the numbers here in front of me of what these were. I think we'll we'll see what they look like. Um, you know, over the course of this week, is I get to watch some more tape, and you do, and so so do some others. But it felt like the Ravens were in empty a lot. Um, and I think you know, you and I talked about this during the game. I think you thought that part of this, you know, and you can elaborate on this, was that that Detroit just didn't have the pass rushing chops to be able to get to them, so they were comfortable with them being in empty. That being said, I, I still do not think that that is the ideal setup for this Ravens team. Like it, it just it, it 
it allows for defenses to take a facet of the game away uh, of not having to worry about the running game that we're talking about that has been so effective. Like why take those parts and functions away from this team? Why take away the ability to have play action? Why leave Patrick McCarry on an island in some cases, you know, in, in what you've got in there? And I, I don't think the Ravens run fantastically amazing five route designs. So conceptually, screw that, right? Like protect your quarterback, protect your weakest players. In this case, I think Makari probably is not going to end up grading out terribly well on some of like uh, from Ken or from PFF or whoever is kind of putting this info out there. I think he's not going to rate well for this game. Like for all the chipping and all the inline help that they gave in the Kansas City game, it seemed like they were willing to throw all that out the window again in this Detroit game too. Yeah, I... I'm not a big fan of the empty. I mean, we, we saw it work really well two years ago when the Ravens had a very good offensive line. Um, last year kind of had the reverse effect where every time the Ravens were an empty, it seemed to be a failure. Um, maybe mixed bag so far this year. We I think that there was the one, Lamar's one touchdown pass, I think was out of empty, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, so th- I mean, there's a time and place for it. Um, I think probably, you know, third and long is probably that time and place generally. Um, but and there's some certain, certain situations where you want to keep somebody in the block as well. Um, I, I think it is kind of a tendency thing based off what your opponent does. And the Lions aren't a blitz happy team. They're a team that wants to get after it with four and drop into the zone. And I think that's why you wanted to have five routes um, because you have more options to find those, those soft spots in the zone. So I don't hate it so much from a game planning dependent situation i don't think it's something that you want to lean on i don't think this is what the ravens offense is built to do essentially i mean they don't really have that dynamic pass catching back um you know i I think maybe if you had like a jk dobbins out there you expect to be a really good pass catcher out of the backfield then maybe you can do a little bit more empty maybe that's something that nate mcquery can do you know he looked pretty spry in the passing game in preseason so if he's caught up maybe he's kind of your third down back um and some, you know, something we've seen Justice Hill do in the past. Um, and, you know, once once Bateman becomes available, then you do have a little bit more dynamic three wide receiver set between him and Watkins and, and Brown. And then obviously you want Andrews out there probably. Um, so I think there might be some availability for this kind of spread, you know, you know, um, naked kind of protection that can work effectively if you have the receivers to make it work. And if you're not against a, a team that's going to do some heavy pressure packages. Um, but it's, it's really just going to depend on the scenario. I, I think moving forward, it's just, yeah, we have to wait and see, I think, with, with how the, the O-line holds up. We, we'll see once Ronnie Stanley gets back, if he can be healthier. Maybe it's something that you can put a little bit more out there as well um, because – like you said, Makari, I don't think had a very good game in this one. Um, he played really well last week. Um, this week, he definitely had one of his more poor performances at, at right tackle. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think this is a decent spot for us to like talk a little bit about the offensive line. I mean, you want to talk about the run game not working. A lot of that was definitely on the offensive line as well. Um, they were not effective run blocking up front. I don't, you know, I don't think they were terrible pass blocking in this game. Lamar did take. By the end of the game, took a lot of sacks, but two of the four sacks that he took were on the very last drive. Um, Maybe, or was it three? Um, He took at least two sacks on that last drive. Um, And so, you know, that kind of, the four sack total number looks a little worse because of that in those situations where you've got to be throwing the ball. Um, But I don't think that they were, they were, 
it didn't strike me as a unit that was awful in terms of their performance overall, but it certainly seemed on the below average side in, in terms of what some of the results were. Lamar made some fantastic throws when he had guys in his face. He also had ample time and space on more than a handful of throws as well, though. So, you know, maybe the Ravens just need to get in there, get into the tape, figure out what was working and kind of get rid of like junk out some of these blocking schemes or junk out some of these plays or whatever they need to be doing to, to maximize that protection from those guys. Yeah, yeah, this week's performance by the offensive line, I wouldn't say was as bad as week one. Um, it wasn't like Lamar was constantly under pressure. There was a lot of, especially in the first half, I think he had a lot of time, um, like you said, ample time and space to make some throws. Um, there, was, there was a few plays where he was under pressure, um, and, and some of those times where he tried to s- step up and maybe scramble um, in the face of just the three or four man rush. And then he wasn't able to get anywhere with it because of, you know, the way they were dropping defenders. Um, but still, I think overall it was, it was a solid performance. Um, but I think it's going to have to be better, especially kind of in the, in those late game situations where you need to be able to pass the ball. You know, there was kind of constant pressure on Lamar, really, really fast pressure in that final drive. And that's not, what you want to see when they're only rushing three or four guys, you really should be able to protect um, at least for like three seconds, I think in those situations. And um, that, that wasn't happening in a very important moment of the game. And it, and it did seem like the Lions kind of adjusted their strategy on Lamar after the one big rush that he had in the one big scramble that he had, I think in the first quarter, um, they seemed to be much more willing to dedicate spies or guys in zones in places that were going to prevent Lamar from being able to run. It seemed like, like there was, you know, we'll have to look, take a look at the all 22, but it seemed like they had nearly like a double spy ish type play on him almost all the time. Um, so it didn't let him get out and it didn't let him create in a couple of big instances in the second in the second quarter and I think that's you know that's the question when the Ravens go into these passing formations right or these pat this passing approach it's like when when it's not there and the play breaks down what is going to happen on those plays I think that Lamar has at least been willing to or been bailed out in those instances of being able to scramble and pick up first downs or pick up pick up yardage that he just didn't in this game um, and it begs the question of whether Lamar is going to need to start to try and in some of those scenarios, get a little bit more comfortable and confident into throwing into some tighter windows um, when he has them down the field. If you've got two guys that are committed to spying on you or even one guy that's committed on spying on you, spying on you like that close, then sometimes you're going to have to make throws and you're going to have to let your wide receivers go and make plays. For better or for worse, Lamar is fantastic, generally speaking, you know, since his rookie year in terms of ball security, I think. He doesn't make a lot of really ill-advised throws. He doesn't make really terrible decisions. He's not constantly trying to force the ball in places that they're not there. I do wonder, though, if the Ravens are going to try and have more of a pass-centric approach in games like this, whether or not Lamar needs to be encouraged to try and take a couple more throws into into some tighter coverage because it's the NFL and there's going to be coverage. It's, there aren't going to be wide open guys running around on the field all the time. You got to let your wide receivers go win. Yeah. I, I think there's a couple of points I'd like to make as well. And, and so one of them is Lamar needs to have some more quick hitting options. And, and in some instances that gets back to the RPO we were talking about before and the lack of RPO. I mean, that's that in general is a very fast you know, decision. You, you, you have the option, obviously run if you don't like that. You have a, normally because you have a receiver who's pretty much going to have a free release and have an easy, like maybe like 10 yard, like pick up. Um, That's the kind of plays that should be more of a staple in this offense. 
Um, I think was it the first play of the game? They had a quick out to Hollywood Brown for six yards. Um, that's the kind of play that should be utilized more frequently because that's going to be there like almost all the time. I feel like the Ravens kind of make things too complicated sometimes and they don't take the easy stuff. Um, and, that, and that's kind of what makes a team like the Chiefs. I feel like, I mean, you know, maybe not this season, not the best example, but generally they'll take that. If you give them six yards, like they'll take that pass and they'll keep making that play. And then, you know, eventually they're down the field and it's touchdown. Like that's how they don't always win with like the, you know, the 75 yard completions to Tyreek Hill. They also win with sometimes just like slowly matriculating the ball down the field with short passes because that's what defenses give them sometimes. And that's sometimes how you have to win. So I'd like to see a little bit more of that in this, in this offense. The other thing they need to be better on is third down because in this game, the Ravens were one for 10 on third down. And it's kind of like a, a, like a, everything we've talked about kind of thrown into one, the running game wasn't working. The, you know, there was pressure getting to Lamar a lot of times and he was trying to scramble and they were doing that kind of like mush rush where they were dropping somebody and they weren't able, and he wasn't able to pick up the chunk yardages that he does in a lot of instances. Um, in situations where a defense plays them like that, you need to have those quick passings. You need to have something that you can pick up six, seven yards. Um, that wasn't something that they were able to do in this game. And it seemed like all the routes were too vertical. Like you need to find that happy. Sp- I, I like the vertical routes. You know, I want to push the ball down the field, but you also have to have that easy underneath throw as well to sometimes just to keep the chains moving. Yeah. It seemed like, you know, and I saw this stat, um, from someone out on Twitter during the game, but you know, at one point during the third quarter, Lamar's average depth of target was 19 yards down the field. That's really deep, <laughs> especially for Lamar for this offense. And again, like you said, I don't have a problem with that, you know, but if you can put that on film and you can get teams committed to defending against that, um, then you can run crossers underneath. You can run stuff into the flats. You know, we saw, you know, we saw on one of those Andrews plays that I was talking about from his completions, it was the running back in the flat was what pulled up the defender away from Andrews, right? You've got to have levels um, in terms of what some of these, these concepts are. And so it'll be interesting to get a look at the all 22 film, see whether it was there or not. I mean, a lot of this also is just clouded by what were some really heinous drops um, and some really just kind of like peculiar scenarios and situations that happened. Obviously you've got Tucker's missed field goal in the first quarter, um, I know everybody was a little concerned when, when you see Tucker miss a field goal indoors. Um, so he was able to redeem himself from that one. But, um, you know, we, we see that instance where, you know, maybe it wasn't quite as bad as it seemed like it, it, it you know, it, it's easy to throw that one for 10 stat out there. How many of those were drops? You know, some of those questions I think are, are valid in terms of what the approach was, but I also think that there are definitely, we could go back and watch, you know, I know that on one of the replays, uh, where Lamar tried to step up and and pick up that last first down on the ground. They showed it from kind of the, the high camera angle, and they showed two routes where they basically have two Ravens receivers that are 15 yards down the field in the middle of the field stacked on top of each other, essentially putting three Lions defenders right in the middle of the field. Lamar's not going to be able to. If that's where he's looking and that's his read and two guys are right in front of him, you know, you've essentially taken that play out of the hands of anybody to be successful because – instead of running Andrews on this crosser that's been successful in this, in this case, you're running him up the field. So, um, you know, I think they've got to clean some of that stuff up and they can, um, but also, you know, the defense has their part in this too. I mean, this is now the third week in a row that we have seen, you know, 
being in, or I guess not the third week in a row, the second time in three weeks, they were, they were behind in the Kansas city game and continued to get further behind, but two out of the three weeks, they were in the lead and you saw a team in the second, in the second half, really give it away. Um, you know, what are you seeing from the Ravens defense and, and should we be concerned yet? Yeah, I, I think there's room for a little bit of concern. Um, I mean, over, overall, I think the defense played a good game, all things considered, um, who wasn't available for them in this game. I think part of the reason that we saw them wear down in the second half was that they were playing a lot of snaps. Normally, you get a, a lot of rotations in the Ravens' defensive front um, at the D-line and outside linebacker. Um, that wasn't the – I think um, – you know, Justin Ellis was playing over 40 snaps. Clayus Campbell had over 50. Uh, most of the outside linebackers were 50, 40, 50 plus snaps in this game. Um, that's pretty far from what you normally get in the Ravens um, front. So it's a little bit of a different kind of situation from that instance. Um, I also think that overall, you know, they only let up to like 280 some yards in this game. Like I think they had less than definitely less than 100 yards in the first half that they let up, um, probably less than 50. It, it was a pretty stifling defense in the first half. Um, obviously, second half performance wasn't as ideal. I think the Lions made some adjustments. Um, they kind of decided to say DeAndre Swift and the short passing game is what's going to win this for us, um, and it almost did because the Ravens really didn't have an answer for Swift. Um I thought it was going to be a mismatch going into this game because normally running backs, that's the, that's where the linebacker is in the, in the passing game. That's who's going to cover the, the running back out of the backfield. And Swift is one of the more dynamic running backs in the NFL. He's, you know, he's got the juke moves. He's got the speed explosiveness. He's hard to bring down. Um, and, and the Ravens frankly did a poor job of, of tackling in space a lot during this game. Um, that's something that's kind of been a theme in this season, you know, we saw Kansas city beat them a lot in space, um, not able to bring them down yards after the catch. Um, we saw a few screen plays in this one to the wide receivers also kind of got out of hand. Um, that's something that they've struggled with over the past couple of years as well. So I think there are some kind of common themes here. You know, the Ravens, when you have this kind of aggressive defense where you're, you're attacking, you're, you're bringing guys, you're feigning blitzes, it's hard to sometimes get in the right position. And if the team is, can be that quick step ahead of you, you can be out of position really easily. And if you don't make the tackle when it's there, then you're really in trouble. And I think that's what we saw a lot in the second half of this one. Yeah. And they're going to have to clean it up in the sense that the ball is coming out quickly. You know, teams are, they, they are not waiting around to try and crack a big play on some of these things. They are like, and even if they are, they're just throwing it deep quickly still you know if you go back and look at the vegas game you know some of those big completions from Carr were run back <laughs> 15 yards as fast as he possibly could to give himself enough space to just turn around and chuck it as deep as he could and so in the first half they weren't catching in the second half of that and overtime of that game they were catching um you know we i think we saw the same kind of thing from golf here you know we, we saw the penalty on the play to jimmy's over jimmy smith um where smith got beat and you know there's it was a little ticky tack, but you know, Smith commits the defensive pass interference. You get a penalty on that. That ball was out pretty quick overall. Right. Um, I think we want to talk about a couple blitzes that we saw in the second half that where it's the same instance. And, and this is, I, I think you, you hit the nail on the head when you say that 
when you're showing all these looks and the ball is coming out quickly, it's really hard to recover and it's really hard to get back to a place where you feel like you can effectively defend and you can effectively cut off angles and routes and, and all those kind of things. And so, um, you know, we see two of these, we basically see two of these different overload blitzes from the Ravens, both in the fourth quarter, um, one at the 1410 mark and one at the 234 mark. Um, and we'll put the video up here, but the gist of it to me is that golf is just getting the ball out pretty quickly. He gets to the top of his drop and the ball is out. You can't, unless you're getting pressure directly up the middle, you're not, it's not happening any faster than that in that process. And that's going to let these guys work in space and you're, you're putting your defenders at a disadvantage and the Ravens are going to have to figure out how to cover that up a little bit better. This is not a Marcus Peters issue. You know, if Marcus Peters was still here, that wouldn't solve it. I think Derek Wolf will be helpful. I think more obviously just amount of BK would be helpful being able to get pressure up the gut on those and force kind of flushes or change the timing of this would happen. But, um, you know, what did you see in these plays? So I think it's, there might be like, if Marcus Peters was available, I think maybe you see a little bit more man instead of trying to drop into a zone when you're doing these, it's because the Razor are kind of looking at more of like a fire blitz now team it looks like more so than what they used to do where they just like man up and play cover zero that was kind of what they did in week one a lot at the end and got burned for it and so maybe they're trying to avoid that kind of situation um in this game but they they seem to be playing a lot of zone especially i mean that was the game plan clearly in week two to, to drop you know seven eight play zone against Mahomes. um in this game i thought they could have manned up a little bit more but i think that you know, there's a, there's a few things at play here. Um, one is obviously the Ravens didn't have some of the guys up front, right? So they're they're kind of one on one guys you can win up front. The Justin Houston's, the the Justin Matabikes, they're they're probably your best like one on one individual pass rushers. They're both out this game, so you kind of have to manufacture the pass rush a little bit more with scheme, um, and it worked in the first half pretty well. But then Detroit, like I said, they made adjustments to it. They got the ball out faster. And I think there was schematically a couple issues with, especially I think the first conversion, it was, um, I don't know, was it a third and six or a third and 10? It was third and seven. Um, and you're rushing three guys basically in the face of Goff where he has three receivers to that side. So he has like, he can see three receivers and they don't, the Ravens only have two defensive backs on that side of the field. So you have to do some crazy kind of recovery from where um, the Ravens defenders are lined up. Uh, I think Brandon Stevens is the one who's tasked to try and like run across the field to try and be in position to make a play on the ball. And he was too busy trying to like figure out where he was going to even consider making a play. It was an easy pitch and catch for a 15, you know, 12 yard completion. Um, I don't like that play call necessarily because I, I feel like it's exposing yourself to an easy completion unless like you said you have that you know free rusher directly in the quarterback's face and even in this case they kind of did and he was still able to complete it just because the the guy was wide open so i i don't like anything where you're leaving somebody wide open that's why i would prefer having someone man up um and kind of just keep them you know delay the route off the line of scrimmage press them do what you can I know they were a little bit worried probably about someone like Swift being an option if you're going to do that kind of thing. But I, I don't know. I, I think they didn't they didn't run these many, too many blitzes like this in this game. 
and they kind of were like 50% whether it worked or not. So they got beat in critical situations by it. And I think they just have to pick their spots maybe a little bit better or be a little bit more thoughtful about how you're going to sell your blitz and what the defense or what the offense is showing you and whether you should check out of it if it's something that's going to be a disadvantage for you. Yeah, 50% is too much. You know, if, if that's your if that's your success rate there, then you, you're beating yourself if, if that's what's going to happen behind the blitzes because you assume that if you're getting beat in that regard, it's it's going to hammer you. The, the One of the things that annoyed me the most about the play at the 14-10 marker, so the first of these two plays that you'll see up here on Twitter, is that the nickel, whoever this is rushing, is rushing from five yards off the line of scrimmage to begin with. So when the ball is snapped, he's too far away at that point to make any kind of influence over golf. Like he has to recognize that he's got three receivers in front of him and he's basically going to leave that void entirely. I mean, that's just an easy pitch. Like that's just too easy. And so I don't know if that's Tavon Young. I don't know who, who that ended up being um, on that rush in that spot, but I, I would prefer it to be what we saw in the Kansas city game where you say, OA on the one play where he like chips Kelsey and then still comes in on the blitz. Like even if that nickel is playing press, tries to move one of wh- whichever receiver he's lined up there off his route a little bit, disrupt the timing, and then come in on the blitz. At least golf at his first look sees a guy that looks like he might be playing press coverage against someone, and maybe he thinks twice about it. He's basically too far away and showing blitz once he runs in. It's not even one of those kind of like delayed blitzes we saw in the Kansas City game that that just makes it too much. So. You know, I agree with you. I think that some of this stuff just needs to be cleaned up and, and kind of taken out of the playbook. And it also makes you wonder, you know, it hurts when Elliot's not on the field, right, to be able to check out of this kind of stuff and to see, recognize these kind of things in advance. And and it makes you appreciate what guys like Suggs and Reed and Lewis brought to this team. I think those are instances where on the field they're going to check out of some of those calls because of things they see or they're going to make adjustments on the field of what some guys see around them. And so we need to see some leadership in terms of some of these guys. We've, we've always heard that Wink lets these guys play within the system, that they feel like they feel like they're given flexibility, that if the call requires a nickel blitz, that if it's not there and they don't do it, they're not getting in trouble for it, right? And so, or vice versa, right? If they're supposed to play like a flat zone out of the nickel, they know their zone is empty. They're allowed to come free on the rush there. They have the freedom to do that. They need to be, they need to play smart enough in that kind of setting then to be able to be successful in that regard, I think. Yeah. I think the guy that has that responsibility on the team now is Chuck Clark. Um, you know, he's the, he's kind of the captain out there on the field. Um, and, and I, I think he, you know, he has the kind of the intelligence, football intelligence to be able to make those calls. Um, so I don't know, maybe, maybe this was just like, one instance of being it's not the only time we've seen this happen like there have been other instances like this um but i I would say for the most part they aren't often found in like bad kind of like blitzes against an obvious like kind of situation or or personnel grouping or where you're going to be at risk but i think that you know they do have the ability to make that kind of call on the field if they need to um so we'll see how if we see a lot more of this kind of happen obviously we saw it in week one a couple of times this is now you know the second time in, th- in three games where we've seen some of these blitzes really hurt the ravens um so we'll, we'll see if maybe they can make some adjustments down the field um there was something that i really liked what the ravens did in this one though and that was how they covered um the tight end um because in the first two weeks they were just tortured by tight ends and this one, they said, we're going to take away, you know, your feature tight end. And they did a great job um, 
I think that I know Hawkinson, he's really big, athletic, fast. He's someone who can easily drop a hundred yards on you if you're not focusing on him in the passing game. And they just had a great game plan for him. Um, you know, there was a lot of kind of like, um, I think uh, Chuck Clark had him a lot in one-on-one coverage. Um, they also, you know, did some bracketing. They did some of the chipping of the line um, that we saw last week with Kelsey. Um, and then I guess the Lions just said, okay, you're going to take him away. We're going to kind of give it to like, you know, whether it's Raymond or or uh, Swift was kind of the major, I think, beneficiary of the Ravens' focus. But at, at least they were able to do that thing. And, and that's honestly, it's two weeks in a row where they've been able to take away a primary threat from the opponent's defense or offense, I should say, and kind of use it to their advantage. Because, I mean, obviously Hill was taken away from Kansas City in week two. This past week, Hawkinson was removed basically from the game plan. So I think that's a job well done by Wink. You know, there's some areas where it hurt them in some extent, but overall I appreciate the game plan and the willingness and the, the desire to try and do that and see it succeed is, is probably something that is going to be beneficial for them down the line if they need to do something like that again. And at the very end of the day, you know, we're looking at a team that was short essentially four starters or four major contributors on defense that they found out were going to play on Thursday um, they worked in a game plan and they gave up 17 points on the road. <laughs> um, so, so it's, it's, it, you know, I think in some regards, you know, there's a little bit of nitpicking that is going on here. I think that you're right that they did shut down Hawkinson. I think they also, I, I think some of the looks that, um, you know, Kelsey got, for example, in the Kansas city game, Swift kind of took those, those kind of looks and he was kind of equally successful as, as Kelsey was in some of those. He didn't go into, he didn't go into beast mode and, and run it in for a touchdown like Kelsey did on that one incredible play. Um, you know, but all in all, I thought the Ravens actually did a pretty good job of keeping Kelsey in check last week, even though, and I thought they did a pretty decent job of keeping Waller in check. I mean, Waller had like 19 targets, I think, in that game against Vegas. So, you know, that's just, that's hard stuff to account for overall. Um, you know, and, and I don't think that there were any standout performers, you know, in a negative way um, for this defense. Um, but I know a guy that we want to talk a little bit about here before we wrap this up is Patrick Queen. Um, I mean, he is your classic boom bust guy. You know, it seemed like last week the issue was that he wasn't wrapping up. That when when he got in there, he was kind of trying to arm tackle a little bit, and it wasn't and it wasn't getting it done. So this week he comes in and. A couple of different times he tries to lay the wood on hits where he's not trying to arm tackle or wrap up at all and just completely whiffs on those. Um, you know, there are plays where he runs himself essentially out of the play because he goes into the wrong hole. His his run fit awareness sometimes seems really out of whack for for you know what shouldn't be as the middle linebacker, run fits should be the least difficult thing to do because it's the ones on the edge where it gets, you know, as you get more and farther and farther out to the edge where it gets more and more difficult. Um you know, but at the same time, we see we still see good plays from him. You know, he's got incredible range. Um, he seems to be picking it up a little bit more in passing situations and being a little bit more aware in that regard. I mean, what do, what are you seeing from Patrick Queen? I mean, I mean, you pretty much described it. It's it's the ups and downs. Like, there's still the tackling issues. He was one of the worst tackling linebackers in the NFL last year. Um, he's not done much to improve on that. I don't think. I know he. You know, he's publicly said that it's an issue and he wants to improve on it. He doesn't finds it unacceptable the missed tackles but he keeps doing it so he needs to really kind of examine where his head's at and and why he's having those issues 
um, with, with tackling because I mean, maybe it's like the trying to make a splash play, trying to make the big hit. Um, but you know, he really just needs to be in position and bring his guy down. That's kind of what your job as a linebacker is to do. So hopefully he can improve there. You know, the run defense at times, you know, when he's making the right read and playing fast, he can be very effective. But when he's trying to diagnose, um, I don't think he reads his keys very well as a, as a linebacker, frankly. Um, we see it time and time again. Like you said, he will the run fits just aren't there. He'll, he'll read the wrong hole. He doesn't read the pooling guard on, on one of these plays, and, and he gets completely washed out. Um, on a play where he could have made an impact and, and held it up for like a, a short yard um, gain or, or no gain at all. And it's just those kind of plays you see over and over again where he's just seemingly not knowing where he needs to be on the field and it's, and it's frustrating to watch. But like you said, he had some good plays too. He had a couple like nice, really nice zone drops where he was, you know, kind of up along the, around the line of scrimmage um, showing like blitz and then he would drop off and like cut off a, a receiver. I feel like he has more awareness in the zones than he did last year, which is something that you obviously want to see. So I, I appreciate that. I think he made a couple really nice plays that way in coverage, even though he it's not going to show up in the stat sheet because he didn't make a play on the ball. Or he didn't get a pick or anything. He didn't get a pressure, but he was a player who was in position. He was taking away the throw that would have been the hot read for the quarterback. Um, and that's something that's important. And it's, I think that's growth from what we saw last year, frankly. So, I, you know, I'm not completely, like, out on Patrick Queen. I think there is, you know, he's seeing some steps in a positive direction, but there's still a lot that has to be cleaned up. And if, you know, if he's not going to be able to do that, um, you know, maybe you just have to start taking him off the field in some of these third, third down situations in particular. I, I don't know. But I... I hope that he's still he's still a young player i think there's still room for him to grow um he's going to be given every opportunity as a first round draft pick so it's hard for me to see him you know completely losing a a significant role in this defense um unless there's an unfortunate injury or something like that so i'm just hoping that he can take the positives and keep building on them yeah for sure you know the the other part of the problem is that i don't know that I don't know who replaces him if you take him off the field. That, Good point. That, that's, the, yeah. that's the problem right now. Malik Harrison on passing downs. Malik Harrison cannot isolated, cannot be the ISO defender in a passing situation or in a passing zone against somebody that can move in space. Josh Bynes did not look like he had it in space today. Um, the torch by Swift on that on that one play where he was isolated in, in the yeah. out in the um out in the what, what was that? The left kind of uh, yeah, it was flat. like an in-breaking circle route, yeah. and and you know, look, that's I don't care who you are <laughs> against DeAndre Swift as a linebacker when you're given, like, especially if it's like an option route there, it's just going to be incredibly tough to defend. So I'm not I'm not trying to throw Josh Bynes, you know, throw shade at Josh Bynes in this instance. It's just that I don't know that the Ravens have a better option than Queen being better than he has been. So he, he really needs to get it together. So. Um, I think that there's a lot of positives. Like I said, this was a game where the Ravens defense gave up 17 points where they didn't have a lot of starters. Obviously, you know, Matt Abike, Houston coming back. Um, Brandon Williams are going to be helpful. Derek Wolf, hopefully his back is going to get better. He's going to be back sooner rather than later. I think that's going to be helpful. Um, you know, so I, I, you know, I think that there, there's some, you know, there's some hope here that this team can continue to improve. The wildness of this notion where the Ravens on 
two days before game days are having major guys go down and having to rewrite the game plans of those games is just it's crazy to think that in both of those instances the ravens were in a position to win both of those games at the end of the game that speaks a lot to preparation speaks a lot to depth and it speaks a lot to to this team um you know and, and their resilience overall yeah it's the one thing that you said there that i want to really just make a point of and that's the depth and we, we talked about this after the game but this is this is a ravens team that 15 players on ir they had three players on the inactive list because everybody else was either on the COVID ir or uh, was basically unable to play so they're pr- essentially down like 10 ish significant contributors and their starters it's basically half of like your your starting players are not capable of suiting up for this game to come out you know get a win it could have been, you know, a much cleaner win, I think. You know, there's some mistakes made on offense, the drops, the pass protection, etc. You know, those are the kind of things you need to overcome sometimes during the regular season. And getting a win out of this one on the road against a team that you should beat, um, it's important. And th- they obviously, you know, never gave up. And I think that's going to be what brings us to their, our last play that we want to discuss, which was that completion on fourth and 19 from Lamar Jackson to Sammy Watkins in a situation where you literally had to do what you did or else they wouldn't have a chance. Like if you didn't pick up 30 yards on that play, there was essentially no way the Ravens would be able to get a score. Um, And they were able to get the miracle as, as miraculous as, you know, the conversion was on the field goal, getting that fourth and long and setting up the field goal was almost as statistically difficult i think as as the previous or the the following play and kudos to lamar jackson after having a few rough plays where he got pressured and he took a couple of sacks he was able to bounce back hit timmy watkins on the deep over um good job by watkins of you know obviously getting open catching the ball getting a few extra yards in order to get into that field goal space because you know that that's the play that really allowed the ravens to come away with the win um so i just want to say that i'm really excited to see that kind of performance because it shows that they are not going to give up they're going to keep fighting until the end there's a ton of adversary that they've already faced in this young season um hopefully we have some players back i'm looking forward to seeing what the injury report looks like this this week but we might be be seeing some of the you know the short-term ir guys coming back for the next week's game so i'm excited about the coming week and i think that it's there's a lot more that the Ravens can do. We've seen a lot of flashes. I'm looking forward to uh, you know a, a four quarter performance in, in week four of the season. Yeah, going back to this play though, there's some pretty incredible stuff about it. That um, you know, obviously Lamar gets a clean pocket. I think something that is surprising to me is Mark Andrews does not run a route on this play. Mark Andrews is blocking on giving help to Andrew Villanueva. Obviously that helps make ensure that you're getting extra time. Um, but they took a guy out of the route in that regard. Detroit is only rushing three. They've got two guys that are basically at the line of scrimmage spying on Lamar. Cause I guess they don't want Lamar to kind of take off and run the ball um, and be able to get out of bounds and space and do something crazy. And Tyson Williams doesn't does I don't understand this part of this play either. Tyson Williams leaks out into the flat and stands two yards down the field. I guess to pull the spy a little bit closer to him, maybe block downfield. He should be just blocking outright. So anyway, regardless, 
Detroit has got six guys in the backfield. The Ravens only have three receivers that are down the field at this point, right? Because Andrews is still blocking and Tyson Williams is standing at the 18-yard line, right? So we can't see it in the all 22, but Sammy Watkins must have done some voodoo magic to get open at the spot that he got open because he basically should have three guys or at least two guys that are right around him, right? Like there's no way that the expectation of the Lions' safeties is that Lamar Jackson is going to throw the ball past the 45-yard line, right? Like, like throw it more than 50 yards in the air like and, and turn into a, a completion that's going to be anything that could do any meaningful damage. Um, so huge props. You know, once, once we get the All-22, you know, whatever Sammy Watkins did to kind of bake this guy out of this route, but it, it also should – Sammy Watkins does not get off the hook here he needed to run out of bounds and he could have gotten out of bounds. And, and it was, it was pretty un <laughs> it, it, it was pretty unacceptable that he didn't even try and get out of bounds. Basically once he makes the catch, he turns upfield and there's four yards of space. If you look at the nine second marker of this video of him at the 48 yard line with a defender backpedaling at the 53 for him to just turn and run it out of bounds. So we, we give Mark Andrews all this credit last week for his ability before halftime to get out of bounds and be smart. But Maybe Justin Tucker doesn't need to kick a 66-yard field goal in this instance if they can get this cleaned up and uh, Sammy Watkins can get out of bounds. So anyway, still incredible throw from Lamar, incredible play overall, really funky. You know, I know John Harbaugh gave Roman a lot of credit for the play call um, in the press conference after the game. I, I, I don't know. I don't know that he deserves any credit for it. This is all on Sammy Watkins' back. It's a tremendous play by him to get open um, and to make that catch. Yeah, I, I think what happened, you know, like I said, without all 22, it's, it's a little difficult, but it looks like basically they cleared out that side of the field with the two um, defend or the two over routes. Um, and then Sammy Watkins kind of runs the deep crosser into that space that they helped clear out. Um, what I don't understand is what, what that defender was doing. Um, and maybe, like you said, he must have put some kind of juke move on him to kind of get him to bite the under, kind of play the sticks, and he goes over him a little bit. That must have been what happened. Because that's the only way he can create that space because the defender should have been able to make a play there. Um, but regardless, you, you might be right. He might have been able to get out of bounds. He was kind of stumbling. The defender wasn't that far from him. I think he didn't even try to get out of bounds, which is definitely apparent. Um, I'm not sure if that would have mattered because you're still looking at 15 seconds. You can probably play call one more play um but i'm you know i'm not gonna complain too much because that play was still a miracle as far as i'm concerned and the play after that um also a miracle the the 66 yard kick wow what a play yeah anyway it, it, shades of Ricky morris for for the lions defender that like couldn't get the depth that he needed to on that throw and just like you know it's very like reminded me like when you see where Watkins is and where the defender is he's just He's just three or four yards short of where he needs to be to, to even be relevant to the catch. So um, it was a, a ton of fun, a great game. Um, you guys can check us out on Twitter. I'm at Raven Sit Room. He's at Gabe Fergie. We're going to have these videos up once we get the podcast up. We'll, we'll repost them um, and and try and call out some of the, the plays so you know and you can take a look at what we're talking about here. Um, but thanks for tuning in and joining us. And um, we'll see you next time in the Raven Situation Room. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, 
you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.